Well, in this podcast, I wanted to follow up with what I was talking about last time. We've we've discussed now for the last couple podcasts the arguments for the existence of God and all the things that we can infer or maybe conclude abductively from arguments for the existence of God. And it seems like theists or thinkers, um, cultures, people groups, however you want to say it, around the world and throughout history have come to similar conclusions about the existence of an ultimate being and what this ultimate being is like. That um, a lot of these theistic thinkers separately, you know, independently, came to this conclusion that there's a there's an ultimate being that is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, very powerful, uh, personal, a creator, intelligent. And so um, it's interesting to me, you know, that all of these thinkers and people groups throughout history have came, have come to this similar conclusion independently. And I think Romans 1 explains how that happened. Uh, folks just looking at creation, thinking through reality, coming to this similar conclusion. But we can't stop there, right? Um, it's one thing to make a case for the existence of God, but we can't stop there because, as I'm sure you're aware, among theistic thinkers, among people groups who have come to this conclusion throughout history and around the world, there's a considerable amount of disagreement about exactly what God is like, what this ultimate being is like. Yes, there's some similarities, we've talked about those, but there's also a lot of differences as well. And so we want to drive down further in this pursuit of the truth or, or this pursuit of, of trying to understand what is real and, and, and our reality and what's actually true. So one way we could ask this question, we could say, well, whose description of God is correct? Right, if the different descriptions of or different conceptions of this ultimate being, which one is correct? Sometimes you might hear this question worded like this. Sometimes you hear it worded something like as follows. Do Christians and Muslims believe in the same God? Now I think wording the question that way is is poor. I don't think that's a good way to word the question. Because, I mean, if theism is true, then there is only one God, right? I mean, let me give you an example. So, uh, let's just talk about our sun, right, and our solar system. The star in our solar system we call the sun. Now, let's say there's two different groups of people, two different cultures, that believe different things about the sun. We could take a, a, a modern scientific culture, let's say, who believes that the sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a giant nuclear furnace, right, as the song goes. Um, and compare and contrast that with maybe a more primitive culture which understood the sun as this monster that was chasing the moon around every day. You could ask the same question. You could say, well, do these two people groups believe in the same sun? And there's a sense in which, yes, they do. I mean, there is only one sun. Right in our soul, I know there's only one star in our solar system. There's many stars, but do they believe in the same sun? Well, yeah, in a sense, there's only one sun here in our solar system. 
But a better way to get at the issue we're trying to get at is which culture has a more accurate description of the sun? Which culture has a correct, a more correct understanding of what the sun is like? So I think this is a better way to ask the question. We can say, uh, which description of God is correct? So for example, is Aristotle's description of God correct? Is Aristotle's unmoved mover God? We could ask the question this way. Is the Muslim's description of God correct? Is Allah God? Or we could ask it this way. Is the Christian's description of God correct? Is, is Jesus God? And I understand, obviously, as Christians, our understanding of God is just is a bit more complicated than simply Jesus is God. Christians believe that God is a trinity, one supreme being, you know, one ultimate being, the three divine persons, Jesus being one of those divine persons. So we do say that Jesus is God. But for just uh, simplicity's sake, we can ask it that way. Is, is Jesus God? And this is the next step in my apologetic. So my apologetic method is to start with the existence, if I'm just going to make a case for Christianity from ground zero, right? If I'm walking into a courtroom and I've been tasked with defending that Christianity is true, the, the way that I'm going to go about it from ground zero is to build a case for the existence of God and then step two, build a case that in fact Jesus is God. And I think this pattern or this method that I'm following is similar to Paul's in Acts 17. We've talked a little bit about that already, but if you read that chapter in the book of Acts, Paul is talking with Greek philosophers. And in that conversation, he, he quotes two of their own authors, two of their own Greek authors, um, to make the case, to make Paul's case that you Greeks, he was talking to, he was making the case that those Greeks had correctly come to the conclusion that there is an ultimate being, that uh, they knew correctly that there was a God. And he quotes from two of their own Greek authors to make that point, that they were correct in believing there's an ultimate being, but he didn't stop there. He went on, if you read Acts 17, you'll see that he pointed out some uh, misconceptions they had about what God was like. He gave them reasons why some of their ideas of God were wrong, and then he pointed to evidence that Jesus is God. And so I think my apologetic method, starting first, uh, making a case for the existence of God, and then step two, uh, making the case that Jesus, uh, in fact, is God, is following uh, Paul's example in Acts 17. So in Acts 17, the main evidence that Paul pointed to uh, to make his case that Jesus is God was Jesus's miracles, in particular his resurrection. Paul there said that um, God had furnished proof to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. So Paul points to the resurrection of Jesus as the key evidence or key proof to believe Jesus's claims of being the Messiah, being God in the flesh. And so the way that I lay it out, my main argument to conclude that Jesus is God, I mean, there's, a lot of, there's lots of reasons and evidence for us to believe that Jesus is God, but I think the strongest reason is his miracles. 
in particular his resurrection. So there's lots of reasons and evidence to believe that Jesus is God, but I think our strongest reason or our strongest argument, if you want to say it that way, is his miracles. So let me just lay out in a very simple form my main argument that I use when I try to make the case that Jesus is God. So premise one. Premise one. If someone claims to be God, we'd have good reason to believe them if they could do signs, wonders, and miracles. And this premise is fairly well accepted. You know, when I talk to people, um, folks will usually affirm this premise. So anecdotally, I guess I can say I haven't had much pushback on this premise. Even when I debated, I had a debate with an atheist, uh, Dan Barker, at an atheist conference in Florida earlier this year in March. You can watch it on, on my YouTube channel, Convincing Proof. But even in that debate, uh, Dan Barger, the atheist, brought up the idea of miracles and said that if uh, miracles were done before his eyes, that would uh, convince him of what I was saying. And so this idea that miracles play some sort of an evidential um, role is widespread, not just among us Christians, but even atheists. And I've, I've found really everybody has this sort of intuition that, yeah, you know, miracles, um, if, if I saw one or if there were some, now, of course, Dan doesn't think there are miracles, but his point was that he believed um, if he witnessed a miracle, that would be good evidence that Christianity is true. So that's all premise one says. If someone claims to be God, we'd have good reason to believe them if they could do signs, wonders, and miracles. And then my second premise is that there's good historical evidence that Jesus claimed to be God and did signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's usually where we'll have to focus, right? That's usually the, the meat, if you will, of this argument, defending that premise, that there's good historical evidence that first of all, Jesus claimed to be God and that he did signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's a lot of what historical apologetics is all about. So you're probably familiar with, oh, Gary Habermas and Michael Lycona, um, you know, some of the older material, Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict. Lee Strobel's really good here. You know, popular level writers like uh, J. Warner Wallace. Um, if you want to go more heavy on the academic side of things. There's like uh, N.T. Wright and a lot of good you know, New Testament uh, scholars that dig into this stuff. But that's where this argument, really you have to spend most of your time with this argument is on that premise of providing historical evidence that Jesus did these miracles and in particular that he rose from the dead. And then conclusion, of course, if we have, then if, premise one and two are both true, then we have good reason to believe that Jesus is God. 